All right. Hello and welcome to Realcom's final webinar of 2023, the second in the series titled Innovation Outlook and Reflection. I'm Chuck Nicewanger, your Realcom host for today's webinar, Operational Results in the Built Environment. These two last webinars in 2023 give us a chance to look back on notable accomplishments, developing trends, and provide an opportunity to synthesize those trends and make logical conclusions on what to expect in the next 12 to 18 months. But before we get started on that with our great panel, let me go over a few housekeeping items to help you have a great webinar experience. Again, thank you to our live attendees. Uh, if you have a question and you'd like to ask anyone in our panel, you're welcome to put them in the Q&A box at any time. We'll take a look at them and post them to our panel and uh, try to work them in as quickly as possible. It's always better as uh, when you participate as an active uh, member of the audience. So we'd love to hear from you if there's something you'd really like to know. Uh, in the handout section, I think you'll find uh, the slides from last time they're very similar to the slides from this time bios from our panelists so it might be useful to download those if that's something uh, that you'd like to do for the best webinar experience we do recommend closing out of any other internet applications competing with your bandwidth especially streaming videos don't stream santa claus is coming to town when our panel will tell you exactly why you better watch out you better not cry because uncertainty may be coming to town we'll see how that goes if you are experiencing any technical issues with connectivity sound or video quality the best thing to do is to disconnect and click on the webinar link again don't worry though you won't miss anything because ian will send you a recording later today you can email him if you like it's ithompson at realcom.com that's i-t-h-o-m-p-s-o-n at realcom.com. I've also included my email here on this slide. So if you're watching this as a recording and you think of a question and you'd like to send it to anyone on the panel, send it to me and I'll, I'll send it along. This educational webinar is supported by our outstanding sponsors. LinkSpring develops, manufactures, distributes, and supports edge to enterprise solutions that create smarter buildings, smarter equipment and smarter applications. The company's solution enables users to realize outcomes, efficiencies, and value from their operational data. Data being the key word, we'll talk more about that. LinkSpring is at the forefront of moving buildings from smart to smarter. And Building Engines provides commercial real estate's most innovative building operations software platform. They help the world's most successful portfolios deliver an exceptional experience for everyone in the building. We are grateful for the contributions by these technology partners to our industry, to Realcom, and to helping us educate our viewers in sessions like these. If you've tuned in to learn how to make your operational business processes and your buildings more efficient, you'll definitely want to include these sponsors in your vendor evaluation process. I'll be your moderator for today, so I do want to get started. Let me see if I can take control. Yes, here we go. I just want to reflect a little bit on uh, some of the experience I've had with not just Realcom at the Realcom conference, working with the Realcom team. I've kind of had an insider's view with Realcom, so I've actually seen not only how the sausage is made, but the anatomy of a conference, what that does how it gets put together, the speakers, the advisors, the schedule, the arrangement, the, 
the expo floor, the videos, all of that. So it's just an amazing process. So I, when I reflect on 2023, I, I really uh, send up a lot of kudos, I think, to the Realcom team because it's a difficult process and they, they definitely know how to do it. Some of the major focus items, obviously, for me was uh, cybersecurity. A lot of that was not just in implementations and how cybersecurity should be done, but now even moving into businesses thinking about this more as litigation prevention and how can we benefit from having discussions like that. AI, of course, has dominated the conversations. If I take a metric of my inbox of all of the different materials coming in, AI by far 80%, probably everything, webinars and sessions and recordings and podcasts. Um, Realcom went so far as to create an AI uh, board that they uh, pulled together their thoughts and ideas and probably will develop into something similar to the uh, real estate cyber consortium, more focused on AI and how can we share that. And then, of course, data. I mentioned that a little bit earlier, the data coming together, detecting it, integrating it, cleaning it up, making sure that it's actually usable. And in this particular webinar, we're focusing a lot more on the data from the operational side, but it gets blended together in a way that we can then do data analytics and prevent visualization, uh, provide that to those who need it most. Because without the data, you're not gonna do artificial intelligence. Without the data, it's difficult to show net carbon zero uh, goal progression, where you're going with any of that. Um, and then when we think about how do we pick up from the themes from this 2023 and go forward into next year, let me, I want to give you an idea of what the sentiment has been just through this one example. It's the 2024 commercial real estate outlook from Deloitte. They do this every year. The methodology you can see here, 750 CFOs and their staff uh, from around the world. Uh, and the major sentiment on the sense of how do you think 2023 will turn out? Well, how will revenues be? 2022 in North America, 43% agree, thought that it would be a decrease. This time in 2023, it was 60. Europe, 52% said a decrease. Now it's 66 and so on. And in the areas of what about in the next 12 to 18 months, what do you expect? Uh, the cost of capital, capital availability, 50% said that it was probably going to worsen. And you did have some that said it was going to improve. So I don't want to say everyone thought it was pessimistic. And you'll actually see a little bit of that. But when you think about these top four areas, cost of capital, capital availability, vacancy levels, leasing activity, from the change from last year's survey, the, to the, if you look at the bottom in the green, if you, who, how many expect the conditions to improve? Year on year, that went down 14% uh, for both cost of capital and capital availability. Year on year, 23 to uh, 22, when the questions were asked to 23, what's gonna happen in the next 18 months? Vacancy levels down 24% being optimistic. Leasing activity down 20%. And it's not to say that everything is negative. So I wanted to give you that perspective because that's a wide range survey, but also a lot of the promise with chat GPT, AI, AI-based applications, AI integration with data, a lot of efficiencies. Uh, you see impact of AI here, 12% uh, 
finished uh, tasks, finished more tasks, completed them quicker, 40% higher quality. That was from Laura Krashakova from uh, Smart Capital Center. So I wanted to leave you with that part so to give you a balance of both negativity, pessimistic, as well as positive and optimistic. So with that, let me bring on our Realcom team uh, and uh, we'll get started. We have, uh, we have Howard Berger and Howard Berger is managing partner uh, and senior vice president of programs. We also have Jim Young, co-founder and CEO. We're gonna start with Howard. Uh, Howard, welcome. And uh, I, I, I wanna, first of all, get a little bit of your reaction, specifically on the built side, uh, from what you've seen, not only in your webinars, your CF, CIO forums, uh, these webinars and your interaction with the uh, uh, industry, both corporate and, uh, and, and uh, commercial. Um, thanks, Chuck. A great introduction too. Um, things are, you know, things are, things are definitely progressing. I think, um, I, I, you know, on the building, on the smart building front, um, we have, I think there's a, uh, a better understanding of the fundamental components of what makes a smart to build, uh, of what makes a smart building from the device to the applications, to the network layer, uh, to the data layers. Uh, there's much, uh, I think there, I've seen a, a number of new products um, and some really, I'd say, extraordinarily insightful thinking uh, on, on putting it together, you know, how you put, how you cobble these uh, components together. Um, I'm sure we'll hear a lot more from, uh, you know, about this from Mark. Um, you know, in terms of adoption, I think you know, with the market headwinds, uh, there's still a struggle in, in being able to define the ROI. I think there are still struggles on the, uh, on, you know, getting the right uh, organizational alignment and skills together, skill sets together for a lot of the companies who are thinking about embarking on, on smart building, uh, you know, comprehensive smart building programs. Um, but I think the awareness level, the technology, um, and uh, uh, the basic understanding of uh, may not be hard ROI, but why it is important uh, to have a uh, you know a, to have a, a data strategy, a converged structure, uh, and how that ties into everything from op operational efficiency to energy to health and wellness to uh, occupant uh, you know comfort and productivity and overall asset value. Um, is becoming more uh, more widely understood and better articulated in organizations. So I think the prognosis is good. Uh, what about you know, uh, what? What, do you, what would you say about uh, AI? You had uh, Buildings AI for the first time. You had a lot of uh, interesting speakers, a lot of case studies. Uh, you're moving potentially moving towards an AI consortium where we could actually share more data within the group. What's your takeaway from the, from the development of AI and the and actual usefulness and the and the ROI there? Well, I you know when we when we started that there was a lot of you know a lot of confusion. Uh, you know we AI I, I think has been has probably had and Gen AI especially has probably had a greater impact on. Um, 
adoption and focus on data strategy and organizations which a lot of organizations probably have been kicking the can down the road for many years but i think uh conversations genning up around gen ai have uh, have accelerated um I, I think very important conversations around the importance of building a data strategy comprehensive data strategy and uh, those I think those conversations have been maturing. Uh, the uh, our, our conference, our well, both our advisory our, our advisory group, um, which I think consisted originally of about 120, mainly of their CIOs, CTOs, and senior level technologists on the operational side. Uh, those are the folks that were passionate really about figuring out how they can apply. AI, machine learning, computer vision, and uh, and of course Gen AI, Gen AI um, uh, into uh, you know into their their operations, uh, and realized how little uh, how few tools they had, how little knowledge they had, how they can really leverage uh, reduce risk uh, in the the risk of leveraging those uh, you know those technologies. So we've been having some, you know, very, uh, you know, I think very productive conversations, uh, you know, and everything from use cases to governance uh, on those topics. And it, it is, you know, the, the topic is evolving. We're seeing more people uh, not just dipping their toes in it, but, to, you know, taking an intelligent look at how they can approach it. And I think that's the important conversation uh, that we've been able to generate both through the advisory group and through that conference was folks starting to understand why it is important to start really understanding, um, you know, AI and all the different flavors and how they can at least start uh, looking at um, integrating that into their strategies, uh, you know, over the next uh, over the next couple of years. Because excellent, yeah, I think I think, uh, I, I think it just creates the opportunity for sharing as well, Jim. I want to get. Not only your take on it, but I know you got some thoughts too on looking back and 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 towards the future. So let me let me turn it over to you. <clears throat> you got muted there, Jim. Come. Uh, Sorry about that. There you um, go. I know I know we're talking about <clears throat> wrapping 23 and looking uh, to next year, but I want to I want to broaden the context a little bit. We're one of the few you know organizations that do what we do that have been around for 25 years and. And so we've seen a lot of cycles. We've seen a lot of different things happen that I think are very relevant to the people in charge of making these technology decisions. So some general observations, um, and I've been asking this question of a lot of people over the last, um, you know, probably six months. And the question is basically, um, is this a paradigm shift or, or another 10-year cycle? Everybody has said paradigm shift, okay? And, and what do I mean by that? It's not just a little, do we make, you know, tweak things at the edges? There's some big fundamental changes coming. And, and, and the changes that are here and are coming are gonna continue to impact how we interact with space, whether how we manage it, how we use it. Um, but what makes matters even worse is there's six paradigm shifts going on at the same time that not many people are, are kind of relating to, you know, tech, finance, biological, climate, globalization, in a demographic change, I mean, we got, you know, five generations now inside buildings and all manage their lives and technology different. And then the prop tech international industry is international. So many times we focus on just the United States, some of the best innovations coming from other parts around the world. And so we can sit here and deal with our pace. And, but when we look at the globe, specifically Asia, 
and to some extent the Middle East, they're moving smart buildings, they're moving at a much quicker clip, right? And so we have to, we have to broaden our perspective on how we're looking at this topic. So biggest challenges that I see right now is this fear of missing out and shiny new object syndrome. It's killed us four times in my career. We get excited, we get disgusted. We get excited, we get discouraged, right? And here we are now, a lot of serious headwinds in the real estate industry. And we've just gone through a 15 year hype cycle where people were just jumping on stages saying that this was gonna change the world in, in 24 months, didn't happen, has never happened. Um, there's still 20 year old technology that's good that's not been implemented. So here we are back to show me the ROI, right? That means no technology is gonna get implemented unless you can actually absolutely prove its value. So in addition to FOMO, um, our industry is still fragmented, whether it's an organization where IT doesn't talk to OT or an industry where integrators don't talk to owner and users. Um, we still can't get in the same room and figure out what is, uh, you know, the benefits of a smart building and why we should do it. And I'm not saying we haven't had success because we have, but certainly not at the speed or, or pace we should. And then last 15 years, um, a lot of money has been spent, going back to the FOMO point, a lot of money's been spent, billions of dollars have been invested, and I would question what the results have been, right? And so I would just love to see a mature IT community that takes money prudently, has a good strategy, every 12 months revisits it, has a five-year plan, and just builds on the foundation of strong telecommunications, good operating environment, good data governance. Um, but that's not, unfortunately, what we've seen. We've seen a lot of ins and outs. Uh, biggest wins? Enterprise platform companies, the big ones, you know, have been nudged by the startups, Yardy, MRI, VTS, RealPage on the enterprise side, Johnson, Honeywell, Siemens, Tritium, Link Springs. Uh, they're they're going to be the winners in the next five years because they've become more innovative and they're not going anywhere, right? And, and we're seeing some, some of the biggest changes coming out of those big enterprise players. Not to say that startups and mid-level companies are important because they're equally as important. But I think you're going to see a lot of noise and a lot of success from big, big companies. Um, but what I think the last 25 years, at least for me, is our community, this Realcom, IBCon, Cortech community, insanely productive, talk to each other, share with each other's competitors, get in rooms. If I had one you know, thing that I'm proud of is to have been part of this journey with all these folks who are so willing to share their challenges, because without the sharing, everybody's on this on their own. Um, and, and we continue to be one of the most collaborative ITOT communities in the world. And when you compare us with other industries, people say, how do you guys do this? Why do you share with each other? And the answer is simple. It's too big. It's too complicated. We have to get um, you know, these problems solved and not one person's going to do it. We knew that long ago and it remains the truth today. So my final thought. Digital transformation in our industry has been going on for 25 years, you know, but you know, it's been slow, but it has been going on. The pandemic hits, forces everybody into their homes. Building's empty. we got to manage them remotely. we got to get people back in safely. Pandemic accelerated this whole thing by 10 years. So now we, while the pandemic was going on, you know, people sitting in their homes, the technology kept advancing. AI kept advancing. Uh, and so we get out of the pandemic and we look at some of these buildings. The tech is outdated. Formats are outdated. Many of these buildings are functionally obsolete and technology is going to play a role in getting people back into these buildings. We're, we're, we're gonna have to learn to manage remotely. We're gonna have to learn to create immersive environments. And even though we are, um, we are you know, in, this, in this ROI phase, I believe that we're gonna see some of the biggest advancements and in innovation in the next five years compared to the last 15. Awesome, awesome. Jim? And Howard, 
it's been a pleasure. It's been a great year. Thank you guys. I'll call you back when we're done. I want to get some more thoughts from you. So uh, let me bring on. Uh, Sounds good. Thank you. Our next guest. Thank you, uh, Sabine Lamb. She's a workplace services tech and data lead with Google. Welcome, Sabine. Good morning, and and good morning to everybody. Or good afternoon. Okay, very good. Sabine, you know, I'm going to jump right into a, one, a question we discussed in our planning call. And that was, you made a comment, interesting comment was, uh, it's taken about five years to get where you are now. Uh, I think project approvals can, can, can take time, project implementations can take time, but that relationship with senior executives has to be nurtured and cultured. Talk a little bit about your journey from five years ago to today. Yeah, it was uh, interesting as we, you know, we're, we're trying to see where are we at, where do we go? But I think a little context of where we come from was um, was quite interesting. And so reflecting back, I remember telling you like, oh, that was hard. That was a hard five years. And I, you know, I would say even like halfway this year, I feel like we hit bottom and now things have transitioned and really moving into a, a different speed. And so I think at Google, we've been very lucky uh, to be able to invest without a huge ROI, right? We, we, we've invested a lot and we've proven a little, and, 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 and I'll explain to you how we're transitioning, right? But the investment was very specifically around cybersecurity. So we know data and we know that if we want data, it's gonna come from those devices, uh, but that will not happen until, until they're secure. So the first few years have been, the, the investment has really been coming from the security, the networking team, really big push there because they knew that no matter what, whether we're using the data or not, whether the business wanted the data or not, things were gonna be installed in our building. And that was just not okay to install it without this oversight and new standards and things like that. So the program started yeah, a while ago. Um, we spent a lot of time in identifying what does secure means and how do we get the data in, in a completely new standard. So, I mean, it makes sense that it takes time because along the way we're changing a lot of things right where we're working with manufacturer and telling them nope all those changes need to happen to your devices before they're secure enough to be now building and then we say well you know modbus backnet all those ot like protocol nope not secure enough for us so let me let, let us invent a new path to get access to your data that doesn't have, uh, happen overnight i think the other aspect that was super important to us is uh managing those devices. And so it's like, well, here's another thing that we came up with to better manage the device. Anyway, so huge investment. And along the way, the business who I work for, right? So I'm, I'm within our really uh, real estate workplace and services organization. We were um, making their life difficult. We were absolutely not bringing any value. If anything, we just make their life miserable because everything they wanted to do were like, nope, nope, nope. And so, um, so that was hard. It was hard to kind of go through this and tell them, yeah, yeah, along, you know, over there in some years, you will be happy for all the work we're putting in place right now. But it was very much infrastructure related. And I would yeah, say sometimes, they, I, sometimes I think that's uh, they think that's IT doing something to you instead yeah, yeah, yeah. of something like, with you, right? Well, exactly. What what value are you bringing? Well, we're not. You know, the building won't be hacked. Okay. But I can't do my, you know, I can't operate the building better with where we're at. And so, like I said, along the way, we have made progress where we've developed the software platform, building operating system is a platform, and we've been able to show some value in some regions. Um, and, and, and so, so we kind of found area where 
we could take the solution a little further and kind of start getting a little bit little bit of traction. Um, and so now it has very much transitioned from the security networking kind of push to the business pool. Like they're like seeing the value. We're getting data actually that is valuable to them. And I think one of the reasons it's valuable is not just because all of a sudden they're all 100% data driven, although you know the 25 years of pushing for data is actually sinking in, um, it's also regulation. They have no choice but to have access to the data. Compliance, CFE 24-7, all those things that we're committing to doing have to rely on data um, and that has to rely on, on, on quality information. And so it cannot happen with a really strong connection with the, the, the facility operation OT team and IT team. And I would say we're lucky at Google that all those teams are internal and they're working together. Um, and then, you know, like um, we start, you guys all started talking about AI. That was the other huge, um, what is it, like a bump or not, not bump, like, like um, whatever, like trampoline thing, whatever. <laughs> I have yeah, the image yeah. in my mind. We call it a catalyst. It's yeah, jumping cat off the catalyst. We actually have a few AI-related uh, solutions um, that are, although in their infancy, still super promising. And now, now that is a lot of visibility. And now people really, really want to get move forward. And I'm so glad that we have a platform in place and some data that we can do something with. Um, to, you know, to to leverage kind of that that interest um is there is it, when you're because you're you're really bringing up a great point you've got to have the data it's got to be reliable it's got to be clean and it's got to be trusted is there a move now moving away from uh some tolerance for trial and error and it's like now okay look you you've got to deliver now is that yeah exactly so that's kind of the thing right now that the business is interested all eyes are on us to deliver and like i said earlier I think you, I feel like if somebody was really, really paying attention for the past five, six years, you know, they'd be worried about the investment versus the the, the, the ROI that we're getting out of it. Um, and so now, um, you know, there's understanding of why we went through what we're going through, but they do want to see results. You know, it's it's, it's generous up to a point, right? And so um, there, there, there's movement in the organization where people report to, how we report to it. The, our workplace services and operation team um, is setting up KPIs where they are very much responsible for the quality of the data. So, you know, the JLL, CBRE, they need to make sure that their meters are actually sending meters and they are, have the responsibility to, to manage their, their fleet. They have some cybersecurity responsibility. They have data quality responsibility. That's a whole new transition. That's something that did not exist before. And it was like, you know, the deployment team has to do something. Now it's really operation, facility operation has a huge responsibility. And that's, that's a that big, big transition, I think, that, that will help us because they are the one using the data. So they need to be the one also acknowledging that the data is not accurate and fixing it in the first place. You have such a big portfolio. Uh, would, you, would you say, like for, for our viewing audience, maybe the idea to it, and you mentioned it took you a long time to get here, but still now you got to deliver. And I would imagine, are you focusing in on quick wins or is it more strategic long-term or both? So every, you know, you focus where you can have a win and where people are willing to work with you. Um, and so, you know, the, the easier, the ability to get data for a standardized portfolio 
which is a Bay Area, which we have 200 buildings and 16 million square feet, that is very helpful that the, the portfolio is fully standardized. But the solution is to work for the global portfolio, right? So that's not enough. Like, um, but whatever we do for the Bay Area then has some really quick impact at scale. So there's like, where do you have an impact for something maybe smaller but at scale? And where do you have an impact for something more innovative but in a smaller quantity to start out with? Um, and so, you know, the the I think we go for both, but over five years, obviously, there's not no not one quick win, not 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 a quick win, right? Over five years is like, but now we definitely uh, definitely try to understand. Uh, I don't know. We just go where people are interested. It's really hard oh. to go. How about the how about the opposite of, of a quick win is uh, did you find something that maybe got started and then you you're like this isn't gonna this isn't gonna give us the ROI we need we've got to shut this project down have you had yeah. to experience that so the early yeah you know the early days on the core bench side they do need to show value and so their their first interest was to develop a full detection and diagnosis solution and try to apply that. And it was try to you know try to get to the solution ahead of having a foundation and and getting data in one place and really spending the time to build the infrastructure in a way that's solid. So yeah, there's the attempt to try to get a quick win so you get visibility and and and, and budget. But the reality is those never worked because you just could prove it in one building, which you could do with just any uh, any solution. You can always prove it in one building. Um, so that that was not what helped us out at all right it's it's really the long the long painful process we went to that will take us to this really powerful um solution and, and big win at scale can you can you talk a little bit about uh google's net zero carbon goals here in the last minute or so that we have and how that's going uh how are you you know finding collecting analyzing that data it's been a huge driving factor for this program. And so there's a implementation like in deployment of shadow meter in every building. So we get data for every single one building. There has been an impact on contract with lease where we want data from, from the owner of the building. There's been impact on um, the type of AI solution we develop. So as we move to electrification of the workplace, um, we identified that refrigerant were going to be our biggest impact on green, greenhouse gas emissions. So we're working on an AI solution to identify refrigerant um, leakage way earlier in the process. And that's a super exciting uh, advance here and, and, and something that we're, we're getting a lot of uh, visibility and, and interest from our sustainability team on. So it goes from just install a meter and, and, and you know, um, report back on the meter too. And here's an AI solution. So we bring down our um, greenhouse gas emission. Okay, well, I, I think I, I'm going on record here and saying that I'm signing you up for next year for one of our webinars. We'll focus on uh, electrification and low voltage and building efficiency. So you're yeah. at the top of my list already. Sabine, stay on for just a second. I wanna bring on uh, Byron Lopez-Pineda from Kilroy. Let me uh, have him come on. Uh, Byron uh, is the Director of Operational Technology. Welcome, Byron. Thank you, Chuck. Thank you for having All right. me. I, I, before you go off, Sabine, I'm going to give you a question. And I want and I, I, Byron uh, talk a little bit about it, too. You're both just frequent competitor, uh, com, uh, contributors to our conferences, to the webinars like this, to writings, to the forums. What 
what attracts you to Realcom and what what's maybe what do you think is maybe a little bit different about what you're getting from them and how, how they're operating? What do you think, Sabine? So, you know, even though I feel like I've been in, in here for so long, it's been a long process, it's only been five, seven years, five, six years. And really the experience that Realcom has accumulated is over 30 years. You know, you run into people that have 30 years of experience and it's something that is very important for, for me to learn quickly and, and, and move forward. I think the, the best value is, you know, Google looked at the problem in a very different fashion. And the reason is because I don't have background. You know, I'm not stuck in the, I'm not um, kind of um, influenced by anything that has happened, but I need to validate that our approach makes sense to the industry. And Realcom was really the area where we could come in and share Google's approach and get live, real-time feedback on, are you crazy? It's never going to happen. Or, or, wow, you know, you, you just did, we, we get, we got a feel for the, the leading, the leaders in the, in this industry got excited about certain things like, okay, we're on, we're on track. This is, this is the right path. So I would say the real-time feedback from this community on, you know, Google's approach was super important. I thought I felt super welcomed to the community. Look, it was absolutely not my background not at all uh, my education and i thought everybody was so welcoming and, and and friendly and it's just like it's a fun event to go to uh and just i would say when things went bad within google or not you know where i felt like really down with the advancement within google the community was really bringing me back up i'm like that's why i'm still in this in this business right i it's love like, it I, I felt i felt the same way i've been with them for a long time when i was the director uh, all at it at jamestown and even working with them directly, that worked out great. Byron, how about for you? How what was your experience? I think Sabine hit it on the the nail on the head there. Community, right? The the fact that you're able to go to a place where we all meet not as competitors. At the end of the day, we all work for different organizations that are either leasing out space or le looking to lease space. But it, when it comes to Realcom, we feel as colleagues, as friends, we can share challenges. We can share the 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 battles that we've had in the trenches and the wins, right? Like Sabine said, she might see somebody successfully do something, or I might see somebody who I'm thinking of doing that project. I might not have the support, but it's been deployed. Somebody was successful in doing it. So it inspires you to keep going, right? You, We have a lot of you know days that don't go right in technology, especially for commercial real estate. But when you're able to meet with your colleagues and friends and be able to share those stories, it reinforces that. I, I attend a lot of conferences uh, from the security side to the IT side, but Realcom really helps us bring everybody together, right? And one of the biggest things that we're seeing is the inclusion of not just technologists, but also our physical security guys, our engineering teams, the vendors, everybody coming to one location and being able to talk about our challenges openly, what's going on with the industry, where are we seeing the problems, but also highlight each other's successes. So that's one well, of the I biggest would say things. I, I I love it. I think that's you're, you both reflected it very well. And uh, for our, our viewing audience, this is real time because I don't know that the two of you knew each other before this uh, webinar. But so Sabine and Byron, you have to get together at the, the next event. And I think you've got a lot to share with each other. Thank you, Sabine. We'll come back to you uh, with the panel. Appreciate it, Byron. Let me continue with you. I showed you the results of the Deloitte survey a lot of it was very negative as far as projections for the coming 12 to 18 months. Do you agree with that or might you have voted a little bit differently? I think it's a bit of mix, right? So as 
do you see the the assets and the quality of the assets, right? There's a flight to quality. I know Jim always talks about the flight to quality. Mm-hmm. So I think as you highlight the assets that have that quality component, technology component, we are going to see that tenants are going to look for those locations. So you are going to obviously have those properties that are going to be impacted more. Uh, if you're not moving with the times, you might find yourself struggling to lease space, right? So I think that it all goes back to your appetite and investment, uh, similar to the cybersecurity conversation. How are you, how's your, your threat appetite or your quality appetite, right? If you're willing to invest, you're probably going to attract higher leases and tenants. If you're looking to stay and kind of do the norm, you might have a challenge there. So I, I think it's a bit of a mix, uh, depending on where you are, the quality of your buildings, uh, you're going to be able to see there an increase. Uh, or potentially a decrease, but it's all going back to your strategy as an organization and what you're do- looking to do. Now, you, you've been involved a lot more on the leasing side. Your focus has been leasing space with tenants and, and getting them in. How would you say that process has changed, not just from a business process, but specifically for you over the last uh, 12 or 20 months? It's been interesting, really, because as part of the technology team, we're historically always brought in at the end. Right. We've we've bought a building, we've have a lease, we've promised to do this, so get it done. Right. So technology is always one of the uh enablers, but we're usually an enabler after the fact, right? We're able to say, okay, we'll we'll figure it out. We have what is it? When when can when are they moving in? We'll try to figure it out. It's moved a little bit better to the fact that now we're at the beginning of the conversation. We're working with the property management team our leasing teams, they're asking us questions saying, well, look, the tenant is asking for what is the wiring diagram of the building? Who are the ISPs in the buildings? What is the technology behind your access control? So those conversations are coming up earlier and we can then work with the teams to say, look, you guys are not the technology professionals. You guys manage, operate the building. You guys lease the space. We'll be an asset for you guys to be able to work and answer those questions. So at the end of the day, when you promise that, you know, the building can take off and relocate somewhere else. Yeah, that's not that's not factual. You know, the building can do all these great things. These are the assets and built technology. So it's helping us be able to work with the property, not get stuck at the end and be able to tell a tenant what is really happening, what's going on with the property. And hopefully that leads to a lease that, you know, will be executed for a long time. Now that you're so involved, has it changed some of the way not only do you look at the tenant space but the uh, common space the conference rooms the areas the entry the access the the exit the cameras the environment oh, yeah. how how, how yeah. has that changed so i mean we're we're looking at it holistically right we're planning to uh, look at a space and say how will this be used by everybody who's coming into the space you know how do we make it attractive for a tenant to be able to participate and want to be in this property uh, for them to be able to build the space, right? We spend a lot of money, not just Kilroy, but all of our developers, all organizations spend a lot of money in making their buildings look pretty, but we want them to be efficient. We want them to be uh, reliable and we want the tenants to be able to use the space to feel comfortable and find that they have the technology that they need to be able to be effective, right? We we like to be innovators, right? Kilroy likes to say that we're where innovation works. So we always take a look and saying, what will be the next technology? What's going to bring somebody and tell them, you want to work in the space, you want to be in this space, you want to live it, you want to uh, use our conferencing centers, you want to use our, you know, bike lockers, right? Even as as small as a bike locker can be, how can we make it efficient, secure, so that you want to bring your bike to work and be able to store it there? So we look at all the pieces that come into the building, not just the backbone, 
but how is that amenity going to be used by the tenant and, and how is it going to make it possible for them to be efficient? How about, you mentioned a lot of different things though too about the building, but I, I'm thinking how uh, the data that the building generates from all of the different sensors, even the cameras, uh, are you able to begin leveraging AI? We talked about AI being potentially a positive uh, monitoring, alerting uh, certain concerns such as loitering. I knew I had a, a, I did a case study for a building in Vietnam. They actually had programmed in with the, with the cameras, the ability to recognize weapons, uh, like any weapon in any position, a, a camera a AI could recognize and alert authorities. Where are you going with that? Well, I mean, that's been one of the functions that is part of the side, the physical security side of our business, right? Uh, and, and one of the things that came out of the AI conference that Realcom had a couple of weeks ago was that we've actually been using AI in our daily lives, right? The fraud detection piece that the, the gentleman spoke about that, right? We don't really think that AI has been around for that long. In physical security, we've had AI analytics on the camera systems to identify loitering, identify space being used, figure out if somebody's walking through a corridor at three in the morning that shouldn't be there, right? And alerting people as to that being an incident. That is AI, you're teaching your camera systems how to recognize that that's Byron and not necessarily Chuck walking to the building, right? right? Or that somebody's been sitting in a space looking around for more than 30 minutes who hasn't moved, okay, let's have an officer deployed there or uh, physical threats, right? As, as the world is changing and physical threats need to be alerted, how do we make sure that we're teaching these analytics to recognize weapons, uh, knife versus the gun, something being carried in a backpack, a long, bag that may not be a set of skis but might be something else right yeah. how do you recognize those as threats and say well we've never seen this person here uh they have a, a suspicious bag do we keep an eye on them do we track them and then how do we go back and validate that video how do we know that chuck was wearing a red vest or a red sweater how do we track that red sweater throughout the entire campus for the past day or two uh, and see where he's been uh, so those are the pieces that physical security is looking at and leveraging those for the future as well. What about, does it? Does that mean it's moving into facial recognition as well? So I would go against the facial piece and use the word appearance, right? Uh, appearance recognition is kind of the better legal term that I would, I would I like focus that. on uh, because, you know, regarding certain policies and GDPR, CCPA, facial recognition is, is very specific. And until we start seeing the arguments in, in court, we won't know where it's going to go, but appearance recognition can be, you know, appears to be wearing a black shirt. A gentleman appears to be wearing red shoes, right? So it's something that uh, is not fully your face, but something that might be appearing to be you. Well, just be careful identifying in about 10 days, uh, the guy with the red suit and the white beard, you know, that may not necessarily be who you think it is. So just yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> be careful with that one. All right. Thanks, Byron. We'll bring you back on uh, towards the end. Appreciate sure. it. I've got many more questions for you. No Let me introduce for you uh, Mark Peacock. Mark's the VP, Chief Marketing and Communications Officer at LinkSpring. A uh, longtime friend of Realcom, uh, and tremendous contributor, uh, and uh, we love having him when we can get him on our shows. Uh, Mark, I don't see your camera yet, so uh, let me know when I'll see when you come on. There you are. All right. Okay, Mark, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna turn it over to you. I know you've got some thoughts about what I presented cool. at the beginning, the setting the stage, both pessimistic and optimistic. 
and maybe a little bit on the next uh, 12 to 18 months. Well, thanks, Chuck, and uh, hello, everyone. Um, one of the things I'll say about 2023 is having been in this business for 25 plus years, I have never seen it more disruptive, more transformative than uh, what we have experienced in 2023. That said, I see the same continuing as we approach 2024. Um, and 2024, as I see it, it's more than just how buildings and facilities are gonna be managed and operated. It's about understanding the business implications and the importance in delivering insights and key here is business outcomes. I've heard uh, the folks today talk about ROI. I look at it as a little bit different, which is about business outcomes. So what does the road look like for all of us in 2024? So here are, as I see it, 10 market characteristics that I think are gonna be the major influencers for, for next year. So starting off would be out, uh, an outbreak of caution. I believe we'll experience an outbreak of caution that is really being driven by the continued evolving of the workplace and the continued adjustment in the hybrid work environment, which I just saw today something that I think the hybrid work uh, environment is here to stay. And most everybody now has accepted two to three days in the office. Also contributing to this outbreak of caution is the redirection of the actual square footage that's needed by companies and the continued number of office, office vacancies that we see in the market. And next year, the number of lease expi uh, expirations that are coming for renewal. The second is, which again, I think is probably the foundation, as I see it, is the business, we're gonna be business outcome focused. Uh, there's gonna be a rebalancing of the conversation where the business side is leading the discussion followed by the technology side. We're looking at solutions that help drive revenue, enhance business decision-making, address risk mitigation and resiliency. And of course, we don't wanna ignore the sustainability uh, metrics that uh, we've been achieving and striving for and doing for the last several years. And I think um, to echo what Jim said, but a little bit different, owners and operators, as I see it, are strategically recalibrating their whole approach to what we all do with business and outcomes and striking that, uh, that key balance between investment and real returns. Uh, folks have said this, the importance of data would be number three. Uh, we are not getting away from data. In fact, the pro proliferation of data and its importance in managing and operating buildings will reach its highest level ever. And in 2024, all of us are gonna be doubling down on data, rethinking data models and common data sets and data standards. Fourth is the true alignment of OT. And what I mean by this is to not only ensure integration, which we've been talking about 
for years. But universal automation, interoperability, and of course, cybersecurity autonomy. Fifth, the financial climate. Uh, you know, the financial climate continues to change, and I think we have to take that into account in 2024. Regulatory requirements. We're seeing an increase in the compliance and regulatory requirements, whether it be cybersecurity, whether it be ESG, so forth and so on. Uh, seventh is zero, a net zero commitments. We got to continue to move forward the commitments for decarbonization, net zero, and, and reach those sustainability goals. I don't think pressure is going to ease up, whether they be from employees, from people's customers, shareholders, occupants, because ultimately this is the new expectation for 2024 and beyond. You guys talked a little bit about AI. Wow, 2023 saw a great deal of buzz around AI. And I do not see that stopping anytime soon as we get into the next year. As I see it, we're witnessing a massive experiment take place in, in real time uh, with the pressures mounting from you know, the lack of infrastructure resources and so forth. AI and its possibilities, uh, I think, is the answer, but we have a long way to go. And there's lots of challenges that I think still needs to be part of the discussion, like security, privacy, trustworthiness, and the true scalability of AI applications and solutions. Ninth would be cybersecurity. Of course, uh, we cannot have conversations um, without having that the cybersecurity uh, conversation. And finally, and I shared this with some, uh, some of our clients and stuff, and I got some strange looks. I'll be perfectly honest with you. And um, the tenth one is the rise in the cost of doing nothing. And what I mean by that is the cost of doing nothing, uh, of not making a not making decisions that could have positive impacts on on your business, or in our case, the building and facility operations. The cost of doing nothing is often used in various contexts to highlight potential negative consequences, missed opportunities that can arise from inaction. So when evaluating you know, the cost of doing nothing, it's essential to consider the specific contents and the potential short-term and long-term implications. So with that, Chuck, those are sort of the 10 areas as I see you know, that uh, as we approach 2024. Well, uh, excellent thoughts, Mark, as usual. I appreciate that. I'm going to start with your last and work backwards just a little bit. Cost of doing nothing. Oftentimes, uh, senior executives, maybe to their own detriment, uh, would say, look, we're not going to do a lot of trial and error. Let's, let's, let's let the other guys do trial and error, and we'll try to be fast followers. Or we're not going to do that at all. We've already got enough trouble with our leasing activity, as we saw from the Deloitte uh, uh, slides. We've got leasing, the cost of capital is difficult, uh, uh, loans are coming due. 
that part is the least of my worries. What if you had them in the elevator for two minutes? What would your advice be to them? Um, yeah, again, I said it all comes down to missed op opportunities, and there's always a cost of some kind for not doing nothing. And look at those particular costs. Now, it could be you lose occupants, uh, you you lose uh, lessees, leases, uh, as an example, if it's uh, that type of environment or so forth and so on. So I think, you know, there's always going to be pros and cons of the cost of doing nothing. But I think as our, as our business climate has evolved, not doing nothing is not the answer. Well, in some cases, though, maybe they feel like they've done something. So their IT group is working with their OT group and they have installed hundreds, if not more, uh, indoor air quality, IQ type sensors. They've they put in cameras and they're generating millions of data points every day, but they have no idea what to do with them. It's the data structure. Uh, correct. And is that, so, again, the cost of doing nothing. You've got all that data. You've got all that time, energy, effort to collect that data. If it, if you're not doing anything with it and not doing it properly, i.e., making sure it's organized, making sure everybody is utilizing that same data set, that data standard, if you will, then I don't think you're gonna, you know, you're not gonna see the return or the outcome that you that one is trying to achieve. I think the the other thing too, uh, Mark, and we'll we'll leave it here for a moment. But that that data piece, and I think if we were you know to tell the audience anything as you're as we're looking at them, is uh, if you don't have that, the AI makes no sense, the cybersecurity doesn't make sense, and the uh, even the net zero, net carbon zero detection, collection, and reporting uh, become very very difficult if you're not managing your data. So partnering with a group that can help you do that certainly seems to make a lot more sense. Do you agree with that? Agree, absolutely, 100%. Data is the foundation of it all. All right, Mark, uh, listen, I wanna, uh, we, we were gonna play a video at the beginning of this, but I was so excited to talk to you. I, I completely- No worries. No, we're good. So what we're gonna do is let's run uh, let's run our mark our, our promotional videos with uh, LinkSpring and with uh, building engines. LinkSpring's Edge to Enterprise for Enterprise and Multi-Sites is a turnkey smart building solution that connects, accesses, and translates operational and facility data from devices and equipment into actionable information. Information that can save energy, increase efficiency, and reduce operating costs while maintaining a higher level of comfort for occupants. The Edge to Enterprise solution consists of hardware and software combined with engineering, deployment, and professional services. It's everything you need to deploy and experience the value of a smart facility enterprise, including connectivity, integration, interoperability, automation, command and control, data access and normalization, analytics, and cloud services. In commercial real estate, success starts with the building. The best-run properties deliver the best tenant experiences, driving more revenue and boosting your NOI. It's what exceptional building operations is all about. But while the equation is simple, getting there is anything but, especially as your portfolio grows. Enter PRISM by Building Engines. 
Prism is CRE's most modern, most innovative, and most powerful building operations platform, uniquely designed to help you increase NOI from a single building to thousands of commercial properties. Prism's broad and deep feature set is built on two decades of helping CRE companies achieve operational excellence, including core features for best-in-class operations, innovative tools to boost the tenant experience, and unique solutions you won't see from any other ops provider. In today's mobile world, Prism is right there with you, ensuring everyone from engineers to tenants have access to the info they need anytime, anywhere. The platform's open API infrastructure connects seamlessly with your in-house systems, delivering a best-of-breed CRE tech stack. And personalized reports provide the insights to keep property teams efficient, tenants up to speed, and owners armed with actionable data on the health of their buildings. The result? Lower operating expenses, higher tenant satisfaction, and rising revenues. Prism is your key to unlocking greater NOI. See why the world's most successful companies have chosen building engines to increase operational efficiency for more than 3 billion square feet of commercial real estate worldwide. Visit buildingengines.com to schedule a free demo and see the power of Prism today. All right, fantastic. We're back and uh, we're here with Kyle Maycath and uh, Kyle is a VP of new business sales and he's been with Building Engines for, oh, I don't know, 100 years, actually. I think, no, probably Kyle, I think you said 2006. Uh, but that does bring a lot of different experiences along with it. So, Kyle, can you hear me okay? And we can hear you uh, calling in remotely. Uh, yes, sir. I can hear you fine. All right, fantastic, Kyle. You, let's talk about that. Ben, you've been with Building Engines since 2006. I showed you, you know, things that were changing. Jim talked about a reflection of things that had changed over the last years and different focuses. The operational environment has certainly changed a lot. Talk about your experience, what you see with Building Engines, and how things have changed. Uh, uh, and and what have you? What are you? Uh, what do you think about what you've seen so far? Yeah, sure. Uh, so like you mentioned, Chuck, I've been with the company since <clears throat> 2006. So a lot's changed both with the company and the industry over that time. Uh, I spent the first 10 years or so of my career there uh, really managing all the post-sale exercises with customers. So that's like support and impl product implementation and uh, working directly with customers themselves. And that was the startup phase of our company. So we were you know, learning the industry and acquiring new customers and, and growing. Um, in 2016 or 17, the company shifted a little bit and we launched our new product, which is called Prism, which you saw in the video a minute ago. And that's the phase of the company where we started to scale a bit more and uh, grow, grow more quickly, acquired more customers. And then uh, two years ago, we were acquired by uh, JLL. And I've been in the part of the sales organization for uh, seven or eight years now and running the, all the enterprise teams for the last five years. Um, what's been interesting being acquired by JLL is that prior to that, JLL was one of our customers and, and still is. But we're in a sort of a unique position as a technology provider where our owner is our customer, and we also sell to the broader market. So JLL is one of our, uh, you know, 2,000 or so customers, and you know that's been an interesting place to be. And to, to be 
expand and grow with JLL, but we still support the broader market and some of those people are competitors of JLL. Um, so it's been an interesting evolution of the company and uh, over the last uh, 18 or so years. Well, with JLL Tech, did did you end up getting additional resources on your team or do you partner together on some of these things? How does that work? Uh, we do. So uh, certainly we're better funded as part of JLL and that's, uh, you know, we've really pivoted and we were doing this already anyway, but it's accelerated it to be a, a multi-product company. So we sell a variety of complementary products to ours, not just our own. And then there's a, a, a broader partner network that we get to plug into and, and be part of as well. The, on the Building Engines website, there's the, it shows a lot of focus on streamlining work order management, visitor access, um, uh, HQO workplace. Have you partnered with HQO primarily, is that, or is that one of your preferred uh, vendors as you're working uh, with? Clients? HQO is a preferred vendor. We, our strategy is to be open. We are an open platform. We would love that everybody bought everything from us. We know that's not realistic. So we play nice in the sandbox. We have an open API. We work with whomever our customers think is the best and they want to use. Um, but HQO we think is a, is a great choice for tenant experience and we have a really good relationship and product integration with them. The, does that change the conversation that you have when you go in, when you're talking to a potentially a new client, when we look at the building systems that they have how is it how is that assessment typically engaged uh, i mean from my experience um i think always it, it doesn't behoove you to to just push every solution and, and partner you have i think you really want to understand what people are doing if they have solutions in place that they like and that that works well for them um, to try to work with those solutions and you know based on what people, what their need is and, and what they're looking for, it, it sort of changes what part of our suite that we focus on when we engage with them. But it's a collaborative effort. It's different with every customer. Now, we, we you know, we talked a little bit earlier about lead tenant leasing and, and the buildings themselves and uh, mm -hmm. the environment. Uh, oftentimes, and I found this too, on the technology side, trying to go into the OT environment and make requests of a building engineer uh, he would look at me like, uh, uh, look, we've been doing it this way for, for 20 years and uh, they may not be, let's say, nearly as receptive, shall we say, mm -hmm. to some of this yep. change. How do you overcome that kind of uh, thing? Because we saw a lot going on in the last, tw last 12 months that needed to change. And as you prepare for more data, more sensors, more, more data points that got to be analyzed, how do you have, uh, how, how do you deal with that part? Yeah, it, you know, the engineering team is, you know, they're, they're domain experts on their buildings. And, you know, sometimes there is resistance to technology or, or you know, there may be an air of you don't understand how this works. Right. But I think the I think that's changed a lot and evolved over the last 20 years. And I think that strong engineering leaders and engineers recognize that technology is not big brother and it's really designed to help them manage and prioritize their day so you know as i i, I one of the things that i see a lot today also is that with a lot of the engineering workforce retiring and they're becoming a labor shortage in that area as 
buildings and companies are trying to attract young engineers to come into the business. The technology, having good and technology that works well and is easy to use, that's exciting, is actually an attractor for them. And it helps them to recruit and bring people in. Um, so technology can play a, a, a big role in that part, helping people uh, bring people in. And if you look at our, our space right now also, I think everybody knows there's a, a crunch on spend and, and people are trying to do more with less. And if engineers are being asked to cover multiple buildings and where previously maybe they were being asked to cover one, technology really helps them to do that effectively. Let's talk specifically on technology about the AI portion. I, I saw mm -hmm. RDM or real access uh, about leasing efficiency and leasing activity. And in mm -hmm. my mind, that almost always is going to trigger that's an AI based process. Is that what's happening? Uh, we're doing a lot of experimentation with AI. Um, the the RDM area is not so much AI based though. The the vast majority of what we do is operationally focused and and not leasing focused. The, the RDM piece of our business does <clears throat> bleed a little bit into that area. But what what why we why we dipped our toe there was that the RDM business is around building measurement. So we measure buildings create CAD floor plans and use those floor plans to generate rentable square footage calculations using BOMA or REDMI. But we liked that business because we think that spatial data creates a tremendous wealth in the operational side. So think about taking your floor plans that may have been measured as an input for leasing, but then overlaying operational data on them like work order data and equipment data. So that's why we went into that business and, and brought that into our core offering. Where the AI piece then comes in on top of that though, and what we're starting to experiment with and play with is how can then we use the data we're collecting through that process to, to how can we use AI to mine it and identify trends and surface information to our customers to make them make it easier for them to make decisions, whether it's predictive maintenance or seeing a recurring work order trend. So that's where we think AI can interplay with the RDM offering. Okay, let me ask you one more question. And while while I'm while you're answering, I'm going to ask the rest of our panel to go ahead and turn their cameras on because we'll try to get some lightning round here at the end. But uh, uh, Mark introduced his. Uh, you know, 10, 10 thoughts on where we're going with this operational outcome is right in your wheelhouse then. So the idea of implementing these, these systems to have uh, business outcomes and be able to show, as we mentioned with Sabine, those quick wins, uh, how has that changed your strategy? I, I mean, from my experience and you know i was i saw this back in 2008 2009 when the market went down there then the technology that people bought when things were booming doesn't always get used and we go into you know sort of where we are today and people are really starting to use or not or get rid of the investments that they've made in technology and so for us it, back in 2008, 2009, that was a huge period of innovation as our customers really drilled in and used the products more 
heavily and we got great feedback and we built new things because the needs of the businesses were changing. And I think we expect that to happen now as, you know, you know, work from home has continued to be a thing that people do. There hasn't been the reoccupancy that uh, maybe people had hoped for or expected. And so we expect that operating the buildings is, well, is in, we still feel it's tremendously important. Our customers feel it's important, but we think that the way they use our products may change a little bit over the next couple of years. And, you know, we're really looking forward to engaging with them on that. Well, let me, uh, excellent. Thanks, Kyle. Let me bring uh, Mark in. I, I, I was going to go someplace else, but since you mentioned it that way, uh, leveraging those products, how how the things that have already been installed in the building, how we take advantage of those things, is that part of the shift in mindset for uh, uh, people? It's no, no longer the cost of doing nothing. They actually have done something. How do they then take advantage of that? Yeah, and and I think that's that's a very good point because ultimately, we the industry, whether you're on the technology provider side or you're on the commercial uh, real estate side or whatever, we're asking our systems and our things that we possibly have already done to do more. And I think we've got the applications, we've ensure got the connectivity, and we've got if you're utilizing the data, we've got the data. So ultimately, too, is kind of an offshoot of that is you take the the larger, the HVAC equipment as an example, rooftop units, uh, RTUs, whatever. And let's say that the average life cycle on a unit is 15 years or whatever that the particular manufacturer uh, says and that what we're asking is with data with connectivity with preventive and predictive maintenance so forth and so on is that we're going to extend that lifetime value of that piece of equipment another five or six years or whatever so what does that do that enables the owner uh, operator to get better capex opex balance and so forth and so on and so I think that's a good example of asking things to do more, to your point. Chuck, can I, I want to weigh in on something that Kyle said and Mark said. So Kyle said, you know, a lot of things we invested in when the hypey phase, we're not even using. Great point. And then I'll disagree a little bit with Mark. He says, you know, we can assume connectivity. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm going to just keep harping on the same theme over and over again. This is about executive leadership, understanding the business value of technology. And I'll give you a very specific example. We held Buildings AI, an event about artificial intelligence in the built environment in a hotel in the middle of Silicon Valley. Because the wireless infrastructure was so bad at this hotel, we had to bring in our own wireless network, taking cellular um, signals, bonding them together to create a Wi-Fi signal. The, the the cellular um, connectivity in the middle of that hotel was so bad, our poor guys were on the parking lot with these antennas trying to get good cell coverage. Okay, so think about the irony of that. Silicon Valley Center of Innovation Hotel Conference on Artificial Intelligence, and we can't even get good broadband because yeah, the hotel didn't think it was a priority. 
Go ahead, Sabine. Uh, Sabine. No, I, I, I hear what Jim is saying. I guess uh, for for Google Wi-Fi is, is not an issue. We live on it, no, so that, yeah, exactly. I do want to add on to what Mark was saying around leveraging the technology because I think with this recession, more than ever, do we want to leverage the existing technology? We can't install new hardware everywhere. So what is the solution that enables that? We want to tackle mm. fragmentation. We want to you know consolidate. Mm reuse it's a huge huge movement um i know on the google side and so whether it's hardware or software it's like how do we consolidate you know the the pressure of growing and scaling and this proliferation of systems is ending now it's like okay which one is going to be the best which enterprise solution is going to be serving many purpose and no more like one of built for this one of built for that and so i just wanted to say um certainly on, uh, on our side we're seeing this as a, as a huge movement and trend for 2024. So, so the, you're, you're moving into that theme of eliminating silos, Byron, how how we, it's, and it's not just in this uh, example, it's across the board, whether it's silos from multiple third-party vendors, well, we, we know that these some of these vendors aren't gonna be around in 12 months, right? So you've got to consolidate. What do you, What's your thought about what you just heard there? And I think that's that's spot on, right? Because we have seen the the boom of prop tech and sherry tech and everybody, right? And now we're getting to the space where those players who are surviving, who are vetted technologies, are coming out and leading the industry. And now it's our time to figure out, okay, who are we going to put our chips behind and make sure that those guys are going to be going for the future, right? There are standard um, solutions and technologies that have been in place for a very long time, but there are challenges to those solutions now, right? There are cloud technologies coming out that are, are being more adaptable, uh, getting with the times, and that the tenants are also asking for, right? They are seeing that before it used to be that these solutions would only be sold to us as the owners. They are now going to the tenants, they're going to the different occupiers and saying, we think this technology would be beneficial for you. Talk to your landlord, see how that can be implemented. And many times we'll say, well, look, we already have that space. We just needed a use. You wanna use it? Let's go ahead and take a look and produce it with you. But uh, we're at the point where we are starting to consolidate. Look at the people who have survived this, you know, integration and the consolidation of the different uh, technologies, and and seeing the real leaders in the space and, and moving forward with them. You mentioned a great great point, and and again, I, I I knew as we get into this discussion, any prepared questions that I have, I just throw the whole thing out because I can talk to you guys and we can move in a particular direction. Cloud technology, Kyle, I want you and. Mark, to talk about that a little bit, because the buildings are moving much more towards a cloud-based solution, are they not? I'll I'll agree and disagree with what you just said. So okay. yes, the cloud is playing a vital role in how we manage and operate buildings, but I would add that it is a hybrid type of uh, an approach where edge and edge computing are and driven by IP is now uh, equally as important as, um, as a solution going forward, working with the cloud environment. So take, for example, the way devices are built today with the, the computer processing power, we can process in real time at the device level where it occurs mm -hmm. when it occurs then utilizing the cloud 
You don't have to send everything up to the cloud or wait for the cloud to go up and back. Absolutely. And, or, or whatever, but you utilize the cloud as part of the solution, you know, the, well, the but Mark, data stuff. I think you have to add in there an edge device that can take connectivity of the devices at a local level. So again, you don't need to send everything to the cloud. I think the only thing you're sending to the cloud is data that's relevant to analyzing sure. a portfolio of buildings, mm -hmm. right? Well, let me let me mention to our those listening to this as a podcast today. There's a lot of head nodding going on with what Mark is, is saying. <laughs> let me bring in Kyle just for a minute. Kyle, uh, your your thoughts too on maybe the edge computing, the cloud. And uh, uh, we got a, a question from Carolyn too about digital twins. So maybe you tie all that together. Yeah, I mean, I think there are certainly some products and especially things connected to equipment like Mark was talking about that require sort of like the edge computing. And um, so I recognize that that's required in certain places. Everything we do from a building engines perspective is cloud-based. So all the solutions that we provide are so we offer nothing that's not cloud-based and a lot of that has to do with just a, a lot of our customers um the people supporting the buildings move between locations and so a lot of the work they're doing is on our mobile app and it relies on connectivity to the cloud to to operate okay and the and the idea of digital twins is that was that a shiny new object or a fomo or is it real now um, I don't know if we're all the way there yet. Like I said, when I talked a little earlier about some of our our concepts around combining operational and spatial data together, I think that's where you can start to see some reality in those concepts. So like I think of our product and, and what we do as a, a, a basic version of, of a digital twin. I mean, when you look at a building in building engines, for example, you can see all of the floor plans and the equipment records and you connect it to the people and the vendors that support it. Um, I think some of it is aspirational still, but I think there are some practical applications and we're trying to, you know, present those to our customers. Go ahead, Sabine. Yeah, thank you. I'm like, I want to say something. Um, Go for it. All right, Sabine's got it. So, so real life example, right? Um, we're, we're working on those kind of adjusting control points for air handler automatically and so adaptively basically controlling it what third thermodynamics is actually super slow and so if you were to train your ml uh, your ml algorithm live on the live building it would be really uncomfortable for um, the occupants of the building and so what we're doing is actually taking the training offline and to train it offline basically you need to leverage all the data that you have for that building for the past several months, all the, the telemetry data. So understanding you know, the digital representation of the infrastructure, getting the telemetry data for the past two months or three months, and then training your algorithm offline, then run it in the building and comparing kind of the simulated building against the real building um, for calibration. And I would say, you know, I, digital, uh, um, digital twin has been a buzzword and for me that I didn't understand for the longest time but I do have like a very specific use case where it makes a ton of sense um, for it to exist. But it, you know, it only exists if you have a, a solid platform that can validate that your digital twin is a true representation of your real, real building. And that, that's, I think that's not really solved for, um, and there's a lot of work that needs to get done. Let me get Howard, Howard, uh, I, I, uh, I wanna get your thoughts on uh, digital twin, cause you've, you've heard 
presentation after presentation of digital twin and applications here. So since we brought it up, what's your perspective? Yeah, well, it's, <laughs> body language whole, speaks a lot. That, that that whole question is that that is that has been evolving, and there are a lot of different definitions of digital twins. Um, very some very small to very very comprehensive versions. We've seen them going back. Uh, we've seen some actually some pretty interesting examples of them going back you know, quite a number of years and, and the way they've evolved and the complexity that's evolved. Um, I am not surprised with the complexity of buildings that we've not seen widespread adoption, you know, in, in our industry. We've seen it in other industries like manufacturing, you know, especially aeronautics and um, transportation, uh, uh, you know, uh, large scale transportation. Uh, but I think, <laughs> I, I don't know exactly what we're missing. Uh, well, I think there are a few components well, that I, still need. You know, it's, it, when you put it in the context, you know, and I, this is the way I heard it too. If if I had a uh, an, uh, a commercial aircraft that I wanted to sell to someone, if I couldn't find the maintenance records, I couldn't sell the the, the machine. If I if a building has that level of component, and I and why wouldn't we have digital maintenance records, digital statistics for all of the environment, digital, digital components for the construction piece. Because when I get ready to sell that building, which is the objective of almost every building owner is you're eventually, it's not just a buy and hold forever, you eventually do want to sell it. Doesn't it make sense, Jim? So, so, so Chuck, let's tie the FOMO conversation in with, with this conversation, okay? Howard was very, very politically correct in his his response i will be less okay <laughs> digital twins have been around for 25 plus years we used to call them building information models BIM, and then they evolved to digital twins in my world we don't go in and out of hypey technology ideas we build foundational technologies which i think bim should be a part of it should be at this point in time, 2023, it should be a foundational part of everybody's real estate strategy. But because we get distracted by these shiny new objects and we come in and out of these hype cycles, we never get to the point we need to be. But there are some organizations who fully adopted digital twins and are seeing the benefits for them, not just at the early construction phase, but if you take that data correctly from the construction phase to the operational phase, you've got what you just described. You've got an airline engine digital model you know, type idea right. now in place for a building, which I won't say is equally as complex as an airplane, but pretty darn close, right? Don't know why we're not further along. Go ahead. Yeah, I, the question is not like why, it's basically, it's not there. I don't know why, but it better change because it's not, not even BIM. How about just a line drawing for your meter? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even get that at the deployment of a building. It's like, this is the that's, most basic the thing that's delivered yeah. with construction. I can't even get to that level of information. So, but, you know, it's, it's up, up to us to ask, right? We need to ask and be very specific in, in our ask. And, and we've been very wishy-washy and looking at, like you said, BIM model and digital twin. We jump to the big things ahead of really just nailing the very basic stuff. It's so scary that if Google, if Google can't get their hands on that kind of information, then 
then what is the small, moderate real estate owner operator? What, there you I go, mean, Byron. That's, Byron, that's a tee up for you. You're, you're working with that. You're doing. Right? Construction is vendor led, operation is vendor led. The group will never have to have access to this information until now we care and we have access to it and we're going to fix so, but it is. Let me, get, let me get Byron squeezed in here. So I, I agree with both the conversations, right? As in Kilroy, right? Our IT OT department sits within these conversations with our vendors and on the OAC meetings, right? So we're there listening to what construction issues have happened and then talking about line diagrams, voltage, where are we putting conduit? So that's part of our process now. But to your point, when we acquire, or and not just us, when there's an acquisition or disposition, the buyer is not asking for that information, right? And we're not necessarily offering that information in a digital twin piece, right? We have stacking models we have you know what the infrastructure looks like i can tell you where all the conduit goes what's being connected to the building but from the operation side of how is the building operating from a digital twin the buyer is not interested in that that that's not an item that comes up in that disposition or acquisition from the leasing side or the legal side which we should have that conversation you put into it right because if now google if google's asking us for that information we better have it because it's going to be a piece byron let me ask you let me ask you a simpler question when you go into any one of your construction trailers, do you have a digital wall for viewing and observation, or do you have um, floor plans on a table? It's floor plans on the table, right? And it's and it's things that get scanned in. And at some point, when somebody has a question down the road, which just happened, where we are asking, okay, where did the access control panels get connected to? Right? We have to go back to those thousands of pages worth of planning and say, okay, it should have been here, but in a revision, it went here. And then in the final mm -hmm. revision, it never appeared. And now it's document management version control, right? Exactly. So you need real time I, models. You you need real time models that people with iterative, you know, slide the bar. Let's what do they call that 4D? I mean, I think, you know, when, yeah, when you but over time, somebody, data over time. Until somebody puts a value, a cost value to that piece, right? As much as we wanted a technology, if the legal team, leasing teams are saying, Nobody's asking it for it, and we're going to time spend. efficiency, cost of change orders. I mean, oh, I, I get you, but when it comes back to where we are in 2024, it's either going to spend fifty thousand dollars on a digital twin or fifty thousand dollars on re infrastructure, cybersecurity, connectivity. Yep, I get it. It's asking for it. so that's where the pieces are going to be, right? We are looking at replacement of physical hardware versus digital assets and that's kind of where well and that goes that, that does tie into the 25-year conversation if we had been adopting this stuff a little bit at a time over the last 25 years by 2023 bim digital twin whatever we want to call it would have been foundational right and we wouldn't be moving paper around in a very complex construction process but we get excited we get discouraged we get excited we get discouraged we spend money it doesn't work and then here we are 25 years later and we still don't have what I call a foundational technology. All yeah. right. All right. Let me tell you something. Carol, Lynn, you kicked the beehive. Okay. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> uh, and now David Katz wants to weigh in. He said Toronto Airport has created a digital twin using BIM and other models and uh, it compiles airport building and found valuable information on maintenance and renovation projects. I'm sure that's true. I'm sure that's true. They probably did. Well, and there's people, some, yeah. Yeah. yeah people there are some companies doing it. Buying this, I'm not to saying it's not valuable. It's just <laughs> a little tough to get to. We've got uh, just another. Yeah, I just would ask David. David, please email Howard or I and, and get us the contact information. I want to learn more about that because 
we're going to show some real life examples of how this stuff works in 2024. Yeah, yeah excellent. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, David. Thanks, Carol. You just hijacked the entire webinar. Thanks a lot. All right, Good. All right Kyle, Kyle, last thought uh, on uh, the next 12 to 18 months quickly. Uh, I think they're going to continue to see a surge in industrial and retail, and we're going to be building tech to support that. I think you've mentioned AI. We're thinking a lot about sustainability. And then the final thing I'd probably mention is the vendor lifecycle for us, RFP to invoicing. So those are our areas of focus going forward. Okay, Mark, close close that part out. Uh, yeah, again, I don't think the challenge is the technology. The technology is here. It's proven. It, But rather, it's the willingness and the preparation, keyword preparation, to take advantage of it. Leave it okay. at that. All right. Um, uh, Sabine, last thought. I'll say too, I think uh, regulation is non-negotiable. So things, you know, solutions have to happen. And the second one is AI has been a very huge, a big driving factor on our end. And I think it's, it sounds like the shiny thing, but it is a different dimension. Um, and it has been a huge um, discussion for the, the execs and, uh, you know, a lot of support comes from that uh, that shiny object, if you want to call it that. Byron, on the commercial side, your thought? I think uh, complacency will play a big thing into 2024, right? A lot of companies are going to get complacent and say, we got to this certain level, but don't sit there. The cybersecurity threats, the people trying to get into our buildings are going to continue. So you have to continue your, your systems, right? A lot of our technology has been in place for 20, 30 years. We might get to a point where we say we're good enough here and then five years will happen and we'll be that same expansion and we will find that five years has really become closer to 30. So keep continuing your infrastructure, invest in your company, invest in your buildings and, and make sure that you're moving forward because the threats are moving forward as well. Great advice. Uh, yeah, AI, generative AI, chat GPT doesn't just get advanced for the good people. It's also the bad guys have just as much access to it. Howard, last thoughts. Oh, you're building a you know foundation, you know a strong data foundation to support AI and Gen AI and computer vision and all of that. A no BS approach to rationalizing your technology stack and figuring out how you can drive more value out of it by you know consolidating it and and using it more effectively. Maybe that's uh, our theme, Realcom 2024, no BS. Jim. I like that. <laughs> all right, uh, take us out, Jim, and talk a little bit about speaking of 2024. Yeah, so as you were all talking, I just had this thought come into my mind collectively listening to all of you. There was some theme, and I think I'm going to make this a personal goal for 2024. It's actually been a goal for of mine for 25 years when I was once a CIO, but I think I'm going to bring it out, dust it off, and embolden and, and it. And here's what I wrote down. I'm going to make it a goal in 2024 to help real estate executives, not necessarily just technology executives but to help real estate executives better understand the business opportunities of technology and how they cannot emerge from this current market challenge without technology. I mean, we've crossed the bridge, we've crossed the, crossed the chasm. Technology will have an integral role from experience to operations going forward. And, and we got to get the business executives to understand this from a strategic level, not a tactical. Ian, show us the Tampa. 
Uh, yeah, so. and so final, final thoughts. We are excited. We are going to be in an insane venue in 2024. Uh, Tampa Convention Center, look how beautiful that is. Session rooms with windows that actually overlook the water. Think about that. First convention center we found in almost 25 years that thinks natural light might help you learn. Um, and then um, within a five minute walk from this convention center, we are going to be near Tampa Waterfront uh, District, which is a digital district um, that is was designed from the inception to be innovative, have the technology in place to offer 21st century opportunities. Uh, we're going to be doing tours, talking to people there. Their executives are going to be part of the conference. Uh, a great city, a great set of buildings to do this event. So we're excited. Thank you. Uh, just to close it out again, wish everybody safe, happy holidays, prosperous new year. This is the last of our webinars for the year. Uh, the only piece I'll leave you with is when you look at Mark and Howard and Jim and myself, Kyle brought it up. So I'm going to blame it on Kyle, recruiting young talent. Okay. So I'll leave it at that. And uh, we, we really uh, want to transfer to the Byrons and the Sabines of the world. And uh, this will be uh, a continuing uh, saga as we go forward. That's it for us for 2023. Thanks Thank again. Thank you, Chuck, for everything. Thank you, team. Thanks, Great Thank job, you, everybody. everybody. Thank, Thank you. you. Happy holidays. Right. Happy, Happy holidays. holidays.